Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. Empowering the Ummah. The EFF released the statement. Very interesting indeed. And the Economic Freedom Fighters says that it notes the death of Elizabeth Alexandra Mary Windsor, the Queen of the United Kingdom and the ceremonial head of the state of several countries that were colonized by the United Kingdom. Elizabeth ascended to the throne in 1952, reigning for 70 years as a head of an institution built up, sustained and loving of a brutal legacy of dehumanization of millions of people across the world. We do not mourn the death of Elizabeth because to us her death is a reminder of a very tragic period in this country and Africa's history. Britain, under the leadership of the royal family, took over control of this territory and that would become South Africa in 19, uh, 1795 from uh, the Batavian control and took permanent control of the territory in 1806. From that moment onwards, native people of this land have never known peace, nor have they ever enjoyed the fruits of the riches of this land, riches which were and are still utilized for the enrichment of the British royal family and those who took look like them. From 1811, uh, John Craddock declared the war against the Amakosa in the uh, Zierfeld, what is now known as the Eastern Cape, up until 1906 when the British crushed the Bambata Rebellion. Our interaction with Britain under the leadership of the British royal family has been one of pain and suffering, of death and dispossession, and of dehumanization of African people. We remember how Ntrele died in the aftermath of the Fifth Frontier War, how King uh, Hansa was killed like a dog on the 11th of May 1835 during the Sixth Frontier War, and his body mutilated and his head taken uh, to Britain as a trophy. And uh, furthermore, uh, they say it was also the British royal family that sanctioned the actions of Cecil John Rhodes, who plundered this country, Zimbabwe and Zambia. It was the British royal family that benefited from the brutal mutilation of the people of Kenya, whose valiant resistance to British colonialism invited vile response from Britain, Kenya, uh, Britain in Kenya. Britain built concentration camps and suppressed with such inhumane brutality the Mau Mau Rebellion killing uh, Deden Kematu on the 18th of February 1957 while Elizabeth was already queen. This family plundered India via the East India Company. It took over control and oppressed the people of the Caribbean islands. Their thirst for riches led to the famine that caused millions of people to die in Bengal and their racism led to the genocide of the Aboriginal people in Australia. Elizabeth Windsor, during her lifetime, never acknowledged these crimes that Britain and her family in particular perpetrated across the world. In fact, she was a proud flag bearer of these atrocities because during her reign, when the people of Yemen rose to protest against British colonialism in 1963, Elizabeth ordered a brutal suppression of that uprising. During a 70-year reign as queen, she never once acknowledged the atrocities that the family inflicted on native people that Britain invaded across the world. She willingly benefited from the wealth that was attained from the exploitation and murder of millions of people across the world. The British royal family stands on the shoulders of millions of slaves who were shipped away from the continent to serve the interests of racist white capital accumulation 
at the center of which the British royal family lies. If there is really a life in justice after death, may Elizabeth and her ancestors get what they deserve. Issued by the Economic Freedom Fighters. Powerful indeed. Powerful indeed, dear listeners of Mirkas Sahab Online. And I echo these sentiments. When I find these people, especially our Muslims, you know, trying to fit in, trying to fit in, hey, look at me, look at me, I want to fit in. I just, I can't understand it. I really cannot understand it. Why? And like we do, as always, every Friday, we focus on Islam's third holiest site. And we focus on our Palestinians. And this oppression stems right back, right back, and we talk about we talk about Queen Elizabeth. Let's talk about the Balfour Declaration, dear listeners of Mirkasab Online. Let's talk about the oppression and the theft of land in Palestine. And this woman that died, they say seventy years, seventy years as queen. She was here through that 70 years of brutal occupation of Palestine. Let's welcome Hafez Ibrahim Musa on the line. Hafez Ibrahim, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Oh, alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Yusuf. Hafez Ibrahim, I don't know if we must have a minute of silence to just sit and think of all the brutal, brutal occupation, brutal colonization, brutal slavery, raping of lands, pillaging the plunder of the British and I really don't think a minute would be long enough to sit and reflect on everything that has happened and you know particularly uh, on a Friday we focus on the third holier site in Islam and this land also wasn't spared from this uh, uh, the barbaric regime Hafez Ibrahim Musa. Yusuf, and it, it's almost uh, repugnant to to think of those uh, moments of silence and all the you know whimsical displays of condolences and statements and all the like that uh, the world is going to have to stomach uh, for the next ten days. I'm no expert in uh, you know the royal family per se, but it always intrigued me how uh, you know this institution has managed to uh, still play such a role. Uh, in in Britain today, and uh, all the gossip and celebrity uh, news that you know would swirl around that, uh, and and uh, it, it's still you know it's for, for some it's a subject of conspiracy theories. Um, I, I I always just look at this with a bit of intrigue. The fact. Uh, that you know it, it's said to be ceremonial, the Queen's role or the monarch's role, the British royals' uh, family's role today is said to be ceremonial. Uh, yet so much money is invested in it. Yet uh, you know everything still has to go through this particular institution, and uh, uh, you know it's something that I've. Perhaps if I had a chance to look, look deeper into if it is just ceremonial, uh, why there's still so much uh, money and so much power uh, seem to still reside uh, in Buckingham Palace. Uh, and and uh, that perhaps raises more questions than answers in terms of what is uh, the real role of this particular institution. 
But having said that, uh, Yusuf, uh, in a historical sense uh, and the lived reality of Palestine is one that is unable to, you are unable to tell that story, you are unable to talk about the plight of the Palestinians without mentioning the British role that is tied up to British politics through the Prime Minister, through Downing Street, as well as uh, the British Crown. Uh, and the experience in Palestine at the same time, um, I, I should mention, is uh, not unique uh, in, in terms of displacement uh, when it comes to the British British role, or if you want to extend it to other, uh, other countries in Europe, whether it's France and their role that they've played in countries uh, in Africa, the Belgian, Belgians that they have played uh, in countries like the, uh, the Congo. And uh, just before we delve deeper into Palestine, uh, John Bolger, uh, the uh, British journalist, uh, did an excellent expose uh, some time back about the Chagossians. Uh, this is uh, an island uh, in the Indian Ocean, the Ch- Chagos Islands, Diego Garcia, and between 1967 and 1973, uh, uh, the British literally expelled this entire uh, the entire population of these islands, uh, and thereafter uh, loaned them to the United States uh, for the United States to uh, build a military base in Diego Garcia, uh, and that's uh, one even more. When they took this particular case, and and obviously the the, the story when we talk about the Nakba, this is a Nakba type expulsion that happened directly at the end of the British not even through their proxies, and uh, in, in very recent history. Uh, and when uh, they uh, took this to, to court in the United Kingdom, that the uh, residents of the Chagos Islands, uh, the government in 2004, the British government, used the royal prerogative to introduce an order in council which continued the islanders' exile and prevented them from returning to their homes. And uh, I found this, uh, you know, you know, while everybody would say it happened by the politicians in the UK, a lot of the things uh, that happen currently, the war in Iraq and so forth, uh, and, you know, the, the Queen's role or the monarch's role is just ceremonial. Uh, judges ruled in 2006 that such an order, effectively a decree by the government in the name of Queen Elizabeth II, was a repugnant way to exile an entire population. So it, it's not, uh, you, uh, th- that's why, I'm, I, I, you know, it, it's, it's a subject of inquiry and if people have any answers, you have any answers. Uh, you know, it, it would be very interesting to say, is this just a ceremonial and is it is, is the crimes of the British monarch uh, just something of the past when the monarchy was an official institution or, uh, you know, is it uh, something that's been perpetrated and the role of the monarch is much more than we we, we 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 are led to believe, uh, and I, I go back to the question: If it was a ceremonial, uh, why is everything just so tied up to this institution? And financially, uh, you know, Britain is now willing to take uh, a big, you know, bring 
life to a standstill. Even things that are important to British culture, uh, they place a lot of emphasis on it, and uh, we don't. But things like uh, football and so so much of the entertainment scene and so forth, uh, you know, willing to lose millions of pounds. because of everything having to follow certain protocol, this, this uh, you know, obviously tells us that the role is m- much more than ceremonial. Mm-hmm. Returning to, to Palestine, Yusuf, and uh, there, there's certain quotes here uh, that I have about the Balfour Declaration. Uh, the uh, a Palestinian historian said that this was the single most destructive political document in the 20th century. Uh, somebody else said uh, this was one nation promising to a second nation uh, or second people the country of a third. And uh, Ramzi Baruch, the uh, uh, Palestinian journalist, said about the Balfour Declaration that it is uh, the equivalent to a decree calling for the annihilation of the Palestinian people. Not one Palestinian anywhere remained completely immune from the harm that was invited uh, by Balfour and his government. And uh, another Palestinian jurist called this morally wicked and politically mischievous. So if if, uh, if we were just to talk about this particular crime in relation to the uh, current situation in Palestine, it is uh, sufficient. Just just to summarize and go through some of the talking points very quickly in the little time uh, that we have, uh, if we go to the declaration 105 years ago in November November, uh, 1917, uh, we have the uh, British Foreign Secretary, Arthur Balfour, writing to uh, Lord Rothschild, who was a British banker and the leader of the British Jewish community, uh, he writes this particular declaration, uh, which, again, um, I'm just scanning through the text again here, uh, mentions that I write to you on behalf of His Majesty's government. Uh, And there you go again. Uh, This is done in the name of the well, at that stage, uh, the king or the queen uh, later on inherits this particular institution. And uh, that's why, as you mentioned in the EFF statement, uh, all, uh, which, which is an excellent statement, and uh, with, uh, I'd be 100% with you in, in uh, you know, in agreeing with uh, that, uh, you know, being outspoken, and, and really, uh, it deserves the light, it deserves the, the honor, or it deserves the applause that it's getting at this time. Uh, uh, unfortunately, when it comes to uh, you know uh, politicians and uh, the check talk and the double speak, uh, that, that obviously would compromise uh, their positions in other areas and, uh, you know, the visits of Julius Malema himself to the uh, to, to, United, to the United Kingdom previously and uh, some questionable meetings that he did have uh, raise other questions. But in terms of the statement itself, uh, I echo your, your sentiments 100%. So the statement, uh, the, the declaration is issued in the name of His Majesty's government, uh, and it, it basically says that the government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people and will use their best endeavors to facilitate the achievement of this object 
it clearly being understood that nothing shall be done that will prejudice the civil and religious rights of existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine or the rights and political status enjoyed by the Jews in uh, in any other country. Uh, so it's a very short declaration but uh, it changes the course of history in Palestine. Uh, and one has to go into the problematic nature of this uh, declaration. Uh, firstly, as one of the quotes that I shared earlier mentioned, Britain at that stage was in the midst of the First World War, and they did not control Palestine to start off with. So they were promising something that they didn't have any control of. Uh, secondly, uh, this particular declaration later on uh, gains a kind of legal status and uh, it is used by the Zionist movement, which at that stage even did not represent world Jewry. It, it just represented the Zionist movement, and many Jews at that stage viewed it with suspicion. It gave them leverage within the Jewish community and within the world community, some leverage that they didn't have. And thirdly, the words of the docu document that I uh, mentioned here, uh, you know, they, they speak about uh, existing non-Jewish communities in Palestine, which creates a warped idea that the non-Jewish communities in Palestine, basically the Palestinians, were some sort of minority, and you have, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jewish communities and non-Jewish communities, and they, they all share this land kind of equally, which is absolutely false at that moment in time. The uh, Palestinians were the vast majority of Muslims and, and Christians, and Jews were, were uh, uh, you know, really the anomaly. Jews were the... Uh, the, the foreigners in Palestine uh, and, and you know, the, the settlers in Palestine at that time. Uh, and, and this creates a kind of false parity to say that uh, we, we will consider them second and we will consider you first, whereas uh, it should, should be the other way around. And if, even if the, 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 the declaration was just, it said that it would go and look after the rights and political status enjoyed, uh, or it wouldn't prejudice the religious rights of the existing communities in Palestine. And obviously that part of the uh, declaration was was not uh, you know looked at at all uh, and and the, the the big question I think when we talk about the British in Palestine we have to look beyond uh, just what happened in Palestine at that moment in time and look at uh, World War One uh, the role that the British had played uh, in bringing down the Khilafah the role that the British had played in playing both sides in creating the so-called Arab revolt with the Sharif of Makkah to revolt against the Ottomans. That's a big tragedy because it was really when the uh, Khilafah fell as weak as the Khilafah was that it opened up the Ummah to attack, attacks from all sides. So Palestine is a repercussion of the fall of the Khilafah. So the British role uh, in weakening the Khilafah, the British role in, 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 uh, in, in you know, spreading ideologies of nationalism and secularism uh, in the Muslim lands. Uh, and then, obviously, the, the corresponding role that it played with regard to uh, to Ataturk and, 
and the new uh, and, and and the the Turk mo- uh, and and the you know the the nationalist movement in Turkey, and w- while it it supported Sharif Hussein on the one hand, uh, it also supported the Saud family on the other hand. So Sharif uh, Hussein manages to defeat the Ottomans, uh, and uh, that then that creates the a vacuum that eventually leads to the fall of the Khilafah. Uh, but just a few years on, uh, the, the, the second group that they had supported, the, the Saud family, then displaces Sharif Hussein himself, uh, and that creates uh, another British ally in the Middle East and uh, gives them proxy control to some extent uh, over the Haramain. So th- this was the British duplicity at the time. You had a promise, the Balfour Declaration to the Zionist movement. You had uh, of the MacMahon corresp- correspondence where the British spoke to uh, Sharif Hussein telling them if, if you revolt against the Ottomans, uh, you'll get your own state. And then you have the Sykes-Picot where the British and, 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 and French sit together and they say that we're going to divide uh, the, uh, the Middle East amongst ourselves and uh, you know all the promises that we make to the Arabs uh, we'll go back on those particular promises so from all these uh, uh, contradictory promises being made at the same time the promises to the Arabs are betrayed and the Arabs realize that we uh, eventually Sharif Hussein who betrayed his Muslim uh, brothers and uh, the Khilafah at that time uh, for some short term benefit realizes that he was betrayed and he made the biggest mistake and uh, amongst the declarations that are or the promises that the British made at that time that are fulfilled in full is only this particular one and only partly and that is the Belfort Declaration in terms of its promise made to the Zionist movement that is fulfilled uh, and obviously the, the rest about the rights of the, the, the Palestinian people is uh, is then uh, betrayed and I think we don't stop with the story of the British uh, or the British involvement in Palestine does not stop with the Balfour Declaration and how it gave strength to the uh, to, to the, the, the Zionist movement. Uh, but we look at what happened after that because you might ask the question. The state of Israel comes into existence in 1948. Uh, the Nakba starts. Uh, formally after 1947, after the British, uh, rather after the United Nations partition of Palestine. So where is 1947, 1948 versus where is 1917? What happens in this uh, intermittent period from 1917 to 1948? And that's equally uh, important to look at what happens in this particular period uh, to understand the British crimes in Palestine. So we, we have, uh, after 1917, the ruling uh, or, or the, the main world body at that time is not the United Nations, it's the League of Nations. And in 1920, uh, through the League of Nations, uh, Britain is given through, uh, on the back of the Balfour Declaration, Declaration and the fact that the Ottomans are no longer in existence, they're no longer in control of Palestine, the British are given a mandate to administer Palestine, 
and uh, again extremely racist, uh, condescending attitude by which this was given a, colon- a colonialism by another name. This is an era where everybody saying that they gained nations are gaining independence; they can decide their own fate. Uh, but uh, the, the British and the League of Nations are just doing colonialism through another way, where they say that advanced nations are entrusted with the task of administering certain territories to be known as mandates until such a time that they are able to stand alone. Uh, so this is pre, uh, you know, presupposing that the Palestinians uh, at that moment in time had their own newspapers, had their own infrastructure, had their own uh, advanced religious customs, had their own uh, agriculture that was exporting to the rest of the world. They're not capable of deciding their own fate. Some other European nations are capable of doing that. And that's uh, what results in the British mandate, direct control of Palestine by the British prior to the Israelis coming in. Uh, so from 1920 to 1948, uh, this is directly controlled from the United Kingdom as well as with United, United Kingdom officers uh, and governors, etc., on the ground uh, in Britain. And uh, despite the fact that the British were saying that we're trying to, uh, you know, advance this particular nation, it was a colonial project, and uh, the British only forwarded the interest of the Zionists in this particular phase of uh, 28 years, and uh, they uh, imposed military rule on the Palestinians. Then the Palestinians violently uh, rose up uh, to be able to confront the British, and we should call it the British occupation. Mm -hmm. And in this period, uh, Yusuf, we had a three-year revolt in which uh, we, we had approximately 5,000 Palestinians killed from uh, 1936 to 1939. Effectively, you could call this an intifada. 10,000 wounded, many others were detained. And uh, a shocking statistic that in this period, over 10%, if you look at the statistics relatively, 10% of Palestine's adult male population had been killed, wounded, imprisoned, or exiled. And uh, some of the tactics that we see today, even some of the laws in the Israeli statute books are just laws that were passed down from the British Mandate era. And one very prominent technique that was used at this particular point in time was destroying or demolishing the houses of Palestinians who are involved in the resistance. And uh, anybody uh, who knows uh, the faintest idea of what's going on in Palestine today uh, should then realize that this is not a homegrown Israeli tactic, but it's actually a tactic that the, British, uh, that the Israelis have inherited from uh, the, 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 the British and the British Mandate era, and there are many other tactics during that period, including attacks uh, on Masjid al-Aqsa, closing Masjid al-Aqsa as a punitive tactic, etc. And during this period, the Zionist gangs are allowed to foster, Zionists are allowed to manufacture arms, build the instruments of state that they'd like. 
At the same time, the British uh, built certain institutions, and literally, when the British pulled out in 1948, they hand over all the institutions necessary for Israel to operate as a state, the army, the uh, judiciary, everything on a golden platter to uh, the Zionists so that uh, there's no vacuum and they are able to, you know, uh, become full sovereigns of the land without having to uh, build up anything on their, their own side. So if we uh, have to, you know, look at this holistically, as I mentioned, Yusuf, it doesn't stop with... 1917, this, this period between 1917 to 1948, or formally from 1920 to 1948, is a critical period to understand the critical nature of uh, the, 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 uh, the the crimes in Palestine. I'll say one last thing uh, that probably will shatter some of our beliefs, and I might have uh, mentioned it uh, uh, before, or our understanding when it comes to, to Palestine. Uh, the famous set of maps that we see, Shrink uh, King Palestine, where uh, this was how it looked in 1917, this was how it looked in 1947, this was how it looked in 1948, then in 1967 it shrunk further, and in 2000 it shrunk further, and this is how, how Palestine looks today. Uh, one of our previous guests, Dr. Khalid uh, Alwaisi, argues that even by us concentrating too much on those maps, we are stuck in a British paradigm because the paradigm that we should be focusing on is that Palestine wasn't was just a province of the wider Bilad Sham. It was a province of the wider Khilafah at that moment in time. And, and, and even if you don't look at the wider Khilafah, you you look at uh, Sham. And Palestine was never a distinct country; rather, it was o- always part of Bilad Sham. And and therefore, uh, who defined Palestine? In, that, uh, in the current shape, that only came as a result of the vacuum of the fall of the Ottoman Khilafah and uh, the nation states that were carved out thereafter from this much broader area where you have got to get more than... Uh, you know, more than 20, 30 countries carved out of what was uh, once one large united Muslim uh, Muslim area or Muslim empire or Muslim Khilafah. So uh, we, we also, uh, we, we know for historical reasons where that comes about and it also, it's for good reason that people use those kind of maps. But if we stuck in that point of, uh, in, at that, uh, of time and think that that's, uh, that's what Palestine is and disconnected from what happened just before that, uh, the dismembering that happened in the Muslim world as a result of World War One, British connivance, French connivance, uh, then uh, we, we're failing to see the bigger picture. Uh, so uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, these various points uh, show us the complicity of the royal family and the co- complicity of the British institution as a whole, not only in Palestine, different parts of the world, and the biggest uh, betrayal or the biggest harm is the harm that has been done to the Khilafah, the institution of the Khilafah, and the betrayal and the dismemberment of the Muslim lands. Ibrahim, Hafez Ibrahim Musa, today you made me a little bit more clever. I won't like, uh, you, you know, this is uh, information that I've, it's, it's extremely vital and sometimes as ourselves in a uh, uh, very important point uh, regarding that map which we have been using and you know it's to 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 realize 
and I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, you know, even though we may feel like, okay, this is when uh, that is the British um, or, or the British occupation's uh, role in terms of Palestine, it goes much more deeper, and it's still ongoing. And I think that is uh, something huge which we can take away from this interview. So it hasn't actually stopped. It's still continuing. Yes, uh, one face of uh, one devil uh, may have left us behind, but uh, the struggle still continues. The struggle is very, very uh, real. Hafez uh, Ibrahim, we say Jazakallah khair to you once again for this absolutely enlightening interview. Uh, inshallah, we will be having this uh, in the form of a podcast on our website as well. But Hafez, uh, uh, the, 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 the insight that have been brought into the program today is absolutely wonderful. Uh, for that, we say Jazakallah khair. Jazakallah khair and Yusuf for sharing it as well. Uh, and one uh, last thing that people could perhaps take into on their own uh, during this period between 1920 and 1948 when the Palestinians revolt, uh, one of those who are killed amongst those thousands that I mentioned was uh, a man that's mem- memorialized today as well in Palestinian resistance by the name of Sheikh Aizadine al Qassam. Uh, was uh, a valiant Palestinian fighter at that moment in time, killed by the British. Uh, and uh, if we want to uh, memorialize someone, we want to learn something, uh, and we uh, want to obviously highlight British crimes, uh, perhaps worthwhile uh, exercise for us uh, in our own time to, to dig up uh, and learn more about Sheikh Aizadine al Qassam and his valiant stand uh, against the British in Mandate Palestine. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hafez Ibrahim was an absolutely beautiful program today, was, you know. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I myself have learned uh, quite a bit, you know, in terms of this. Um, and, and this is what I, I find absolutely interesting indeed, is that we have this information. Yes, we have this information at our disposal, but the ugliness and the rot from this uh, British government goes uh, much further uh, than we think it does. Subhanallah. Very interesting indeed. Marcus Sahaba Online Radio. Empowering the Ummah.